You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast. Your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love Podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, matchmaker, and CEO and founder of Orosu Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Let me start off this episode, guys, by apologizing to everyone that was expecting to hear this episode on Wednesday. Um, I don't know if you guys seen it. I'm sure everybody in the world has seen it by this time. Um, but that 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 terrorist attack that took place over at the Capitol uh, where you had all of those uh, Antifa people or proud boys whatever you want to call them um they they ran into literally our capitol building and, and just ran amok um that i gotta give you keep it real with you guys you know um i'm always for authentic authenticity and being your authentic self that threw me for a loop uh it, it blew my mind pretty much um and it, it kind of had me on in reflection mode over the course of the last two days i would say two days or so um, so I put the, I put the episode, the question and answer episode to the side on Wednesday and just went into a deep state of reflection. Um, I'm dirt, certainly feeling better today. Not as much, uh, heavy emotions, I would say, um, that I felt the other day, but I, I definitely want to communicate this to you guys today. Um, especially if you're a black person, what you saw on display January 6, 2021, um, was legitimately everything that white people try to tell us that we are right you saw people that were unruly you saw people that were uncivilized you saw straight thugs and you saw people destroying property and acting as if they they're not intellectual or they they don't have intellect or the ability to think critically right so that's that's everything that that i grew up um, associating with black people, right? All of these things that white people say we are when in fact it's them, right? And I've felt this way for, for a while. And that, that incident, the storm in the Capitol Hill was, it was confirmation for me. It really was that there's when, when white supremacy loses their power there, you'll see them start to display a lot of the same type of characteristics and behaviors that people in the hood would display, right? People who are in poverty, people who are exposed to prolonged trauma, right? That's that's what the result of our reactive behavior are, is. The result of these people reactive behavior, right? the result came from them losing power. I need you to understand how the world or, or how our society views us in that aspect, right? to to society to america to american society i'll just say american society forget society period to american society it is unacceptable for you to protest to peacefully protest let me add that for you to be peacefully protesting for you to not bear arms and try to um 
fight for some sort of equality in a nonviolent manner. It is absolutely not okay to do that as we witnessed through or with Colin Kaepernick, as we witnessed with the the countless protesters that have been arrested and, and beaten and tear grass sprayed into the crowd, whatever the case may be. Um, just, just all of this crazy stuff, guys, that have happened over the course of our history um, that, that just shows and, and draws a clear line between being white and having a certain privilege to, to function in this world and, and being black and understand that you don't have those privileges. You don't have those chances. And like I said before, it's, it's very tough. It's very difficult. If you're listening to my voice right now, you're straddling the fence on if you, you want to be a part of the solution, right. And not a part of the problem. Check out that video from January 6th. And if you think that that was okay, then you're certainly a part of the problem. Okay, I had to get out that out my system. Thank you guys for listening to me. I'm off my soapbox and I'm back to regularly scheduled programming. All right, so when it comes to our relationship side of questions for this week, question number one is how can I still be happy even if I have been single for a long time? Right, so how can I be happy after being single for a long time? I think what you want to do is you take this opportunity and take this time to really identify the things that you enjoy doing. Right, I think when when people become single or you're single for a long period of time, you can start looking at at introspect look at looking at yourself introspectively. Excuse me, and you start blaming yourself and saying things like, "Well, what's wrong with me? And why can't I have a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Such and such." as a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And I don't think that is a good place to tie your happiness to, right? Instead, I would invest and redirect that energy within myself or within yourself in this instance, and try to identify the things that you really like to do, right? Not the things that you like to do because you're in a relationship with someone who likes to do these things, but the things that you genuinely and truly enjoy doing and then start doing those things. And the more you do do those things that really make you happy, the less you'll be concerned about what others think and their idea of happiness. And I personally believe to, to throw another caveat on there. It, once you start living your life on your terms and, and putting out good energy and living according to how you want to live in a righteous manner. So you're not getting over on people. You're not being sneaky or anything like that. I fully believe that the Lord will then allow the the right person to come into your life, right? So once you get yourself to a point where you're able to accept the things that you don't like about yourself, that's when you start to see and start to get that abundance flowing in, right? So you start to get more love, um, more friendships, more hopefully lasting relationships. But first things first, right? You got to start figuring out what makes you happy and doing those things. Question number two, how did you become depressed or anxious? Question number two, how did you become depressed or anxious? I think I've experienced depression and anxiety 100% of the time in my life when I was living life according to someone else, right? So when I graduated college, for example, I thought that there should be all of these jobs that opened up to me and because I had a four-year degree that I was I was one of the most powerful beings in the earth. Legitimately, I thought about that. 
me and my friends had a thing where we was we used to say the the most powerful thing in the world or the most dangerous thing in the world is an educated black man with a degree boy were we wrong <laughs> once we graduated college because that is so false it's so far from reality um but i think that was a time in which i experienced depression um because i thought that that all of these things should come to me because that's what the world said, right? Once I graduated, once I got a degree, I would be able to have options for all these jobs. And I graduated in 2010 from college. And that was a couple of years after, after that uh, housing market crash. So as you would imagine, there were a ton of people that did not have jobs right out of college. And I even had some of my friends with high level degrees that were working at like Burger King or McDonald's and nothing, nothing against Burger King or McDonald's, no knock on that any, in any way, shape or form. But those people have went to school for like engineering and things like that. Um, thankfully they've gotten jobs now and have been in their jobs for, for a pretty long time. But I think whenever I've experienced depression or anxiety in my life, personally, it was, um, as a result of trying to live life to someone else's standard and not my own. Question number three, what are some things you realize when you get older? Once again, that question is, what are some things that you realize when you get older? Oh my goodness, man, that's a great question. I haven't, I haven't thought about that question um, in a very, very long time, but I would certainly say when, as you get older, you, you start to realize that everything does not deserve a reaction. Um, I lived a very, very reactive life for a long period of time. Um, and once I got out of that, that reactive piece, like, so if someone said something disrespectful or that I took as disrespectful, wanting to fight them or trying to fight them and getting into those very reactive situations, once I got out of those, I realized that like people that try to drag you into those situations are typically in bad spots themselves and they don't know how to articulate their own struggles. Right. So what they do is they try to pull you down into, into their area or into their realm and lower your vibration. So, um, that's something that I realized that I got, as I got older. Um, the other thing that, that I think is important to share with you, uh, I'm assuming you're a younger person. Uh, when I got older, I realized that I had pressed a lot in my life. Like, so I lived a very all or nothing life. So going back to my college days, if I would fail an exam when I very, when I first got to college, if I would fail an exam, it would be like, Oh, all right. Well, you know, the whole semester is over. I might as well not even try. I failed my first exam. And I think that that is a very, very bad way to live because there's so much that you can learn from what we consider failures, right? I consider them lessons, right? There's there's so much that you can learn from lessons. So you shouldn't live an all or nothing life or a life where you think that just because you you fail or you have to go take the, the path that's a little more difficult than other people, don't think that that's a bad thing, right? That can ultimately be a good thing. And that's something that I realized er, or later in my life that, all the difficulty that I felt was in preparation to get me to a moment like this where I'm able to articulate and tell you not to do the dumb stuff that I used to do. Right. So the last thing that I, I would say that I realized when I got older is the importance of relationships. You guys hear me say this every episode, the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life does determine the quality of your life. So I would say that that honing in on that has probably been one of the most beneficial skills that I require or 
acquired at a, a, a later age in my life. Like just understanding that whether it's friends, family that you you've had forever, um, associates, whoever it is, if the person that's in a relationship with you is does not have your best interests at heart, then that's not the place that you need to be. Right. And that's something that I really stand on. Right. So if you don't have my best interests at heart, because I'm coming to the table with everybody's best interests at heart. That's just how I am. I wouldn't come to a table if that's not the case for me, because um, I, I like I said, I like to be my authentic self. So if you're not bringing the best intentions and best wishes for me to a table that we're both sitting at, then we do not need to be sitting at that table together. Right. So those are the things that I, I've I've come to really, really hold on to in my older age. And then also, of course, time. Right. This this is so cliche when you're young. Like you hear people say, oh, time flies, time flies. But legitimately, man, the older you get, the faster it seems like time flies. So I've I've been working the past few years or so on just staying present and in the moment and recognizing that that everything that's great is happening right now in the moment. And our final question from the relationship side of things, why would a guy tell you he went through sexual abuse on the first date? Once again, that question is, why would a guy tell you that he went through sexual abuse on the first date? I think that is a defense mechanism, frankly. Um, and when I say defense mechanism, um, this gentleman has probably, obviously he's had trauma because of the sexual abuse, but he's probably had an instance in the past where he was dating someone and that came out. Um, either on purpose or inadvertently. And what it did was it turned the partner off at the time or the person that he was dating at the time, it turned them off. So what he's doing now is he's created a, a defense mechanism that that spews that out up front. So it, it speaks about sexual abuse up front. So that way he gets a gauge and he understands that if it's something that's maybe too heavy for you to deal with, or if he's in a relationship or with a partner that may be able to be receptive and empathetic to that and work towards that. Um, when it comes to sexual abuse, if you do decide to go forward with this gentleman, um, you want to make sure he, he certainly gets some some sort of mental health help. So seeking a therapist, uh, coach, whatever, whatever he thinks would be most beneficial and most effective for him in order to get over the hump. Um, sexual abuse is very, very traumatic. Um, it's a very traumatic experience. I know people that have been sexually abused. I've worked with people that have been sexually abused. And it's just it's a very, very difficult thing to overcome, um, especially when when you're thinking about it from the perspective of a man, because society tells us we have to be strong. We have to protect ourselves and we have to be these big, bad uh, warriors when at at some point in time, you were vulnerable, right? So you may have been taken advantage of, right? So if if it is someone that you like and you feel like you can have a lasting relationship with them, be receptive to it. Um, don't be don't get turned off by it or think he's he's some type of quote unquote weirdo. It may just be a defense mechanism that he's throwing it out there, getting it out there to to get your reaction up front in case you're somebody that that's thinking about not dealing with him for the long term. All right, let's touch on some insight from a former narcissist. Question number one, does a narcissist devalue you because they de they were devalued as a child? Once again, that question is, does a narcissist devalue you because they were devalued as a child? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's obviously it's, it's very individual, but 
I've seen so many cases of, of narcissists be um, propped up as a child or um, almost built up until they were invincible kind of thing, especially with young men. Um, I can speak to that experience a lot where it's you're constantly hearing how handsome you are, how great you are, how you're going to be a, like a, a ladies man. All of these things, they start to play into the thought process of of us period like a young man and what happens is that people may be inadvertently creating a a narcissist right just from this pumping up or what we think might be encouraging but what it really is is it's over inflating the the child's ego and that's usually where where you get the narcissist characteristics um i've i have seen though individuals that become narcissists because they don't feel like they got the love and and appreciation that they should have as a child so as a result they became their own protector kind of thing and and no one can be let in so again i know i'm kind of talking a little bit in circles but it's very specific to the individual but don't think that that person was necessarily devalued as a child if they didn't say so because there are a lot of narcissists that were um the opposite of devalued overly valued as children and that created this overinflated ego of theirs question number two what does a narcissist do daily to feel happiness? Once again, that question is, what does a narcissist do on a daily basis to feel happiness? The narcissist that I've engaged with in during my time as a narcissist, I had to put somebody down, right? Or like talk down to someone or make someone feel insignificant in order to have a happy day, right? And I know that sounds extremely bad, but sometimes you, you get individuals that thrive off of putting others down, right? So if I had to say, I would say that uh, a narcissist on a daily basis, they have to put someone down um, in order to keep themselves on a pedestal and feel happy about their lives. Question number three, why do narcissists tell you their your feelings are trivial when you try to talk to them? Once again, why do narcissists tell you your feelings are trivial when you try to talk to them? That's just another way of them trying to minimize your feelings. Um, a, a really good exercise that I do, and I would invite you to do as well, um, when a narcissist tells you that your feelings are trivial, go about a week, so like a Sunday to Sunday or a Monday to Monday, and identify each and every time that this narcissistic person tried to bring up their feelings or like tell you how they feel like, oh, well, you made me feel bad or you hurt my feelings and, and try to play the feelings card on you. And what you'll see is you'll get a tally of times where they'll say your feelings are trivial, but they'll constantly throw how they feel or how you make them feel in your face. Right. So, oh, you made me do this or you made me cheat or you made me sad. Right. Just to keep you in their web and keep you in their in their little entanglement, so to speak. Right. So whenever a narcissist tells you that your feelings are trivial, it's just a front to minimize you how you feel and keep them again on that pedestal and above you. Um, and in that position of quote unquote authority um, where where you are and not insignificant and it's all about them. If you are in a relationship where someone makes you feel like your feelings are trivial, that is not the place that you need to be. Question number four, what are triggers when recovering from narcissistic abuse? Once again, what are some triggers for 
when recovering, excuse me, from narcissistic abuse, typically things that I've seen include um, being reactive, right? So being extremely reactive, um, socially anxious, afraid to go out and establish new connections to make new friendships um, for fear that you might get tangled up in another relationship with a narcissist. Um, I've also seen people um, diet change, right? So they've either start to lose or gain weight because they they haven't had a control of of how they want to feel or how they want to look for so long that they just let go um drug abuse is another huge one that i've seen in the past uh and the the biggest one that is is scary when i see it i i'll tell you guys is lack of self-care right or lack of taking care of your personal hygiene when you start to see stuff like that, um, that's that's for me leading down to an area in which you'll get depressed. So if you experience any of these symptoms, signs, whatever, triggers, whatever you want to call them, um, do yourself a favor and seek mental health help, professional mental health help. Um, or at the bare minimum, try to incorporate some exercise into your routine because what happens is if you're, you're highly stressed or you're triggered and you get up and you shift or you move or you go work out or you go for a run, um, there, there are chemicals that are released from your brain that helps ease a lot of those triggers, right? And bring you a little bit back down to baseline, right? I, I, I certainly understand where you come from when you talk about triggers, but look at this as an opportunity to create a new neurological pathway in your brain that will no longer accept the type of behavior and tendencies that were displayed by the narcissist. Question number five, what are some giveaways that you're in a relationship with the narcissist? Once again, that question is, what are some dead giveaways that you're in a relationship with a narcissist? If this person tries to isolate you from friends or family members, it's a pretty good chance they're a narcissist. If this person tries to um, cut off your access to the outside world, right? So if you're someone that usually has likes to socialize from time to time, and now you're in a relationship where you rarely socialize, and that's because your partner doesn't want you to, you're probably in a, in a relationship with a narcissist. And the number one thing that I'll always say that will give you indication that you're in a relationship with a narcissist is a conversation constantly coming back to this person, right? So no matter what you say, it always come back to how they feel, right? Or what feelings that they have, right? Totally minimizing your feelings, um, trying to keep you beneath them, so to speak. If any of these occur, then you're in a relationship with a narcissist. A really quick way to assess if you're in a relationship with a narcissist is to after the charm. So if you're in a relationship for three plus months, because a narcissist can put on charm for at least three months in your face before you at least start to see some some red flags. After that three month period, what I would invite you to do is try to engage them in things that you have not seen them do in that period of time, in that three month time. So if you guys have gone on dates that were just you and them, try to engage them in a date with uh, like more couples. And if they are like stark against it and they're like, no, I'm not doing that. We should just do our own thing, so on and so forth then there's a good chance that that person's a narcissist, right? And you want to get away from them. Remember though, narcissists can be extremely charming. So it, it, they can lure you in with their charm and then you'll get hooked and eventually not be able to get away. So that's, that's something to keep in mind as you're, you're toting the dangerous line of being in a relationship with a narcissist. And finally, question number six, 
How can I get my son away from his narcissistic father? Once again, that question is, how can I get my son away from his narcissistic father? First thing that I would invite you to do is seek legal action, right? If you can legally get him away, that's the best course of action. If you are not successful legally getting him away from his father, who's a narcissist, I have, and I'll admit, um, I have helped a woman get her son away from his father, who was definitely a narcissist as well. Um, and the way I did that is I helped her to see things that, that not necessarily are more important than her son to the narcissist, but they hold kind of equal weight, right? So for example, um, she was, she had a, they both had a house together, right? And her compromise was, Hey, listen, if you give me full custody of our son, you can have the house, right? And he was like, well, um, I don't know about that. And what, what I encouraged her to say to him after that was, Hey, listen, like you can still see him and so on and so forth. But like, you got this big house, dude, like you're, you're the man, right? You're and just, just hyping him up pretty much and propping him up to eventually like, yeah, he was, he was like, yeah, I'll take the house. You take our son. That's perfectly fine. And it, it worked out perfectly. Right. He's still a narcissist. He still has the home, but he rarely sees his son, um, which is a good thing, I think, because it, a lot of those those characteristics that he displayed were not healthy role model characteristics for the young man. But I say that to you to say this, find out something that may not necessarily be as equal to the son um, as the father sees it. So something that he loves as much as the son, but something very, very close, like a car or a house or money is another thing narcissists love. Um, or even offering them like the opportunity to just go mess with other women or whatever he wants to do. Find out something that 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 you can hook him on as a narcissist and use that to um, hook him and reel him in at the same time getting your son away from him. All right. So that would be my advice in that situation. That's all I have for you guys tonight. Thank you guys again so much for your patience. Thank you guys for checking in on me to make sure I was okay um, because you did not hear this episode on Wednesday and we will certainly be back in action on this coming Wednesday. Right. This special Friday episode is not the norm. Right. It's just this this episode. I had to process a little bit, um, figure out where I was mentally in, in regards to all the madness that took place on January 6th. But I'm good. I'm back. I'm, I'm focused, ready to go. Right. So we will certainly see you guys on Wednesday's question and answer episode. Remember, you guys are more than welcome to hit us up at TQLP two zero at gmail.com with any questions that you guys have for these episodes once again that email address is tqlp20 at gmail.com or you guys are more than welcome to hit us up on our facebook page the quality of love podcast and as always guys the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life peace and love